Hi, I'm Carrie Glassman, founder of Nutritious Life and the Nutritious Life Studio and the host of this podcast, Living a Nutritious Life. Are you the friend who's always being asked for health advice? Now imagine turning that passion into a fulfilling career with our Become a Nutrition Coach program. Step into a world where your enthusiasm for wellness becomes the heart of your own thriving business. With me as your professor and guide and coach on our user-friendly digital platform, you can learn from anywhere at your very own pace. It's perfect for your busy life. Envision empowering others to live their healthiest lives all while growing a career you love. You're not just gaining a certification here, you're joining a community of like-minded professionals ready to support and celebrate with you every step of the way. So what are you waiting for? It's time to nourish your future and help change lives, including your own. Head over to nutritiouslife.com forward slash BNC for a free class and a sneak peek of the program. Your journey to becoming a nutrition coach begins now. Welcome to Living a Nutritious Life. I'm your host, Carrie Glassman, and today we are joined by the remarkable Sarah Intelligator, a yoga teacher turned divorce attorney who's revolutionizing the way we think about family law with her holistic approach. Sarah has organically bridged these two worlds, yoga and law, in her approach, coining the term holistic divorce and family law. Sarah's book, Live, Laugh, Find True Love, a step-by-step guide to finding a meaningful relationship is out now. And in this episode today, we dive into what she calls the six F-words. These F-words lie at the heart of her philosophy on relationships. And one of the F-words we discuss today is fairy tale, which as she explains, can be both a dream and a danger. In this episode, we also explore the tender and touchy intersection of our emotional health and rough legal battles of divorce. As Sarah shares her in valuable insights into the common threads that cause couples to untie the knot. So whether you're healing, dating, or seeking a deeper understanding of relationship dynamics, join us for this episode with Sarah. It's a good one. And as always, if you like this episode, please rate, review, and share. today. And what an amazing time to be chatting with you. I mean, we should all be talking about love all the time and finding true love. And love more is a pillar of a nutritious life. And for all nutritious life uh, listeners out there, they all know that love more is a pillar of a nutritious life because we not only are relationships important for our happiness and to have a fulfilling life, but relationships and love actually affect our health as well. And that is why the Love More Pillar is a pillar of a nutritious life and it all connects. So I'm super excited to be talking with you today. So just let's dive into your background a little bit. How did you go from being a divorce attorney to giving dating advice and writing this amazing book, Live, Laugh, Find, True Love. It actually was a very organic process for me, believe it or not. I taught yoga for 20 years. And um, when I started practicing on my own- Wait, you taught yoga while you were an attorney or and while you were in law school? 
Uh, yeah, I, I taught, I started teaching yoga when I was 17. Wow. And, <laughs> that's um, amazing. I was still in high school actually. And then I taught through college and law school and, um, and then I pretty much stopped teaching when I had my first son, um, cause that was a little too much to balance a practice and a, and a child at that point. But, um, Wait, that's an incredible part of the story though. First of all, just to do yoga at 17 is incredible to teach it is even more incredible, but then to have that sort of yin yang of law school yoga instructor is really, really super cool. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. So it always kind of it's always been a part of me. I started practicing yoga when I was 14 and it's always just informed the way that I practice law because I happen to practice family law, which is a deeply personal, mm-hmm. deeply personal. And, um, I, I find it very intimate because you're dealing with people at a time when they're most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, um, you know, and, and there's so much more, you're not dealing with a corporation and money. You're dealing with like real people and real emotions and people would never need to see an attorney a day in their lives ever, never thought they would need to. And, um, so when I went out on my own to practice on my own, I I thought, you know, what makes me stand out? What makes me different? And I kind of realized that what makes me different is that I have this tool bag at my disposal Mm -hmm. to help guide people through a really difficult time in their lives, arguably maybe one of the most difficult time in their lives. And um, so I coined the term holistic divorce and family law to describe my style of practice, how I take care of the, the whole person. And I look at, you know, every facet of the situation as opposed to just looking at billable hours and, um, and dividing and, up finances and things right, like that. Right. right. Well, yeah. obviously fighting for my client. That's my job, right? That's my, my ethical obligation. But to me, that was like the bare minimum to me mm-hmm. when I'm dealing with someone one-on-one in such an intimate situation, um, in such a personal way, I feel like there's so much more going on and I, I need to bring that background that I have into the, the experience. Um, so that makes me think though. So I wanted to stop right there for what? one second, but it makes me think like, how did you get into law? Like, why did you decide to go into law? <laughs> because just the way you're talking about all of this and being a yoga instructor, it doesn't necessarily seem like a natural direction. I mean, for many people. <laughs> no, am um, I am I am I stereotyping there? Does that no, sound no, terrible? No, it, it, it definitely. I was. I call myself the accidental lawyer because I okay. never actually wanted to practice law. Um, I was an English major in college. I was mm-hmm. a photographer at a time when the world was transitioning from film to digital, and I hated mm-hmm. that transition. I really loved film photography and wanted to be like a fashion Mm -hmm. photographer and do film and, and things kind of started to shift. And I was like, Hmm, I don't really know what I want to be when I grow up. I'm just going to go to law school. It's a good degree to have. My mom's an attorney. I was like, it's a good degree to have. No one can mess with you when you're a lawyer. Right. So I went to law school thinking I'm going to just get this great degree. No one's gonna be able to mess with me. And I graduate. I'm like, well, okay, I graduated. I might as well take the bar. So I take the bar and I pass. Right. Okay. (laughs) So what am I going to do now? I need to get a job. Right. So um, I started uh, looking into working for the district attorney or a public defender because I pretty much went to criminal defense classes when I was in law school. That's what kind of interested me. And there were there was a hiring freeze at both. And the only way to get into private practice is really to work for one of those and get experience. So then I was like, oh, okay, what am I going to do? And my mom knew an attorney who was actually hiring Uh, looking for an associate, like a part-time associate to be a family law attorney. I had no experience in family law 
My only exposure to family law was like through the bar exam. I never okay. even took a family law course in law school. Wow. No idea what I was doing. I took the job. I got the job and it was a sink or swim situation. And I was with that firm for five years. I found it completely soul crushing, hated it. And that's wow. when I went off on my own. And I was like, I still don't know if I even want to practice law. And that's when it came to me, the whole holistic divorce and family law that, you know, that my style of practice is unique. And when I started looking at it through the prism of helping guide people through mm-hmm, a difficult process, mm-hmm. which is what I've been doing, teaching yoga for so many years. Right. It's like, so oh, beautiful. That's if I approach it this way, then it can be actually super fulfilling. And so that's kind yeah. of how I arrived at it. It's a beautiful like journey. Something. It's a beautiful <laughs> journey because you took something, like you said, that was so soul crushing and you said, wait, but I do this different and there's a different way to do it. And the truth is people need divorce attorneys. How can I do this in a better way, in a way that yeah. is more in alignment you know, with yourself, with you, like you're probably talking, like saying that, having that conversation with yourself, but then also in a way that can be more helpful to people and be softer and kinder and, and lead them to a better place. And it's obviously still very difficult. And I'm sure your, your clients struggle a tremendous amount, like anyone going through divorce. However, there are, there are ways to get through it, you know, in, in better than others. I mean, and I've been through it. I know there's lots of different ways to go through it. So yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it happened to actually, um, coincide my, I started practicing law and family law specifically, and I was going through my own divorce. And so that also sort of informed the way that I was practicing. It made me a lot more empathetic and compassionate and understanding of what my clients were Mm -hmm. going through, because even though my divorce was super amicable, it's still, you're still dealing with the emotional aspects of this really horrible breakup. I, I think it's akin to a loss, like a, like a death, um, in many ways. And, you know, Definitely. And, and so to me, it's, it's a, it's a grieving process for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, <laughs> then that kind of brings us back to what we were even talking about before is what, how did I go from being a divorce attorney to writing this book? Yeah. You know, I, I, have always approached things very holistically, but when people come to me, I don't have the opportunity to get to them before they get to me. And so Mm -hmm. in writing this book, it's kind of, it expanded that whole definition of holistic divorce and family law. It's like, I want to get to people before they get to me, before they have to go through what I went through, before they have to go through what I Mm -hmm. want all my clients go through. And this was kind of my avenue for doing that. Right. And then I'd have to say, there's also probably people that they're meant to get to you and like, and that's okay too. Right. Like there, there's a lot of people, it doesn't always have to be a negative thing. You know, I mean, I think, cause so many people I remember when I was getting divorced, so many people, their initial reaction is, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. And of course it is a major loss. It's traumatic. It's terrible, but there's also many divorces that it's a good thing people end up in better places where they're meant to be. And that doesn't mean that there's not a lot of love there. No, I, I always say that I, you know, and I tell my clients um, and I tell other people that um, divorce can actually be a gift. A breakup can be a gift if it's um, a learning experience, if 
you know, just because the relationship doesn't work out, it doesn't mean it failed. I, I really hate to use the word failed relationship right. because to me, I think that there is a lot of utility in relationships that don't work out both personally, spiritually, they, they bring people to grow tremendously. Like I wouldn't have met my current husband if I hadn't gone through my own divorce. And my ex-husband is a lovely human being, but he wasn't mm-hmm. right for me. And because of the work I had to do, in, you know, right. self-reflecting and personal growth and, and maturing and everything in, in the aftermath of that, I was able to meet my current husband. I never would have given someone like him or him the time of day before, you know, right. And I right. arrived at that if I hadn't gone through what I went through. So I do think they can be a gift and a blessing. Um, they don't, right. so that's at the moment. <laughs> yeah. So, well, so that's why I was saying like getting to you, it's not even necessarily saving people before they get to you, but it's like, if they do get to you, it's also going through that process in a much healthier way because yeah. the way you go through the divorce, let's say it is bound to happen no matter what the way you go through it really affects your your, it could affect your future relationships. It can affect your health. It can affect how long it takes to mourn the loss of that relationship. I mean, it can affect so much. So I'm just like listening to you, even in these few moments, you know, even these few minutes so far, like I know people out there that are going through this, like sitting there, having you across the table to work through this, like what a better way to go through a difficult thing with someone who really is looking out for you in this holistic way. And then, like you said, you wrote the book to help people like not get to you again, because I'm sure there are so many things you've learned from these relationships to help you. And I'm sure there are those people out there too, that yes, had they read your book or done other types of work in therapy, maybe they don't need to end up with you. And that that's also great that you're looking out for those people too. So let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about some of the things that you learned and that are in the book. So the book is called live, laugh, find true love, a step-by-step guide to finding a meaningful relationship. Um, and again, I just think your background is so cool here. Diverse divorce attorney, yoga instructor, you know, giving this incredible <laughs> dating advice. So, I mean, there's so much. So I've just, I've gone through the book. Um, I haven't read it cover to cover yet. I just got it. Um, but I was going through it this morning and there's so many good nuggets in here. I have a few things I want to ask you about. So first of all, um, that what, what do you call it? Your chapter, the F words? Or no, yeah. yeah, what is the what is what what the chapter is called? What in the F word is a fundamental value? But then you have all your F words in here, right? Can we go yeah. through the F words? Sure. So I break down um, you know, in in practicing family law and, and going through my own divorce, I've kind of noticed six really discernible patterns where if these things are there or aren't there in relationships, the relationship is destined for its end, its ultimate demise. Um, And so I I break those patterns down into what I call the six F words. Um, And and those are um, fundamental values, fear, foundation, fairy tale, fixing, and family. And I obviously go into each one in, in great depth in the book, but these things kind of either, they need to be there in order for the relationship to succeed. And if they're okay. not, then it won't. Okay. So wait, you said fairy tale. What's what's let's dive into that. We won't go through all of them, obviously. You have to buy the book, everyone, to, to get all of them. But what's uh let's talk about fairy tale. Okay. Fairy tale is the notion that we romanticize the idea of marriage. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so we end up placing our focus on finding someone who will marry us as opposed to finding the right person to marry, right? The, we, mm-hmm. we celebrate the wedding and we place more emphasis on the wedding itself than the thing that the wedding purports to celebrate in the first place. And then we're very sorely disappointed when yep. the rest of our lives, the happily ever after isn't happily ever after. And, you know, there are a lot of things that contribute to this, obviously, but life is not a fairy tale. Life is not picture perfect. I think we all intellectually know that, right? And we know that life throws obstacles our way. And I'm a firm believer that a good relationship is not, uh, you know, a signpost of a good relationship is not how well things are going when things are great, but how well we work together when things are not great, when challenges are thrown our way, and how well we work together as a team. Um, and if we think that life is a fairy tale, then, you know, obviously we're going to be sorely disappointed. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of people fall into that, um, especially now with social media. I know this is crazy and we can blame everything on social media, but I do think, I mean, maybe it's a little less so since the pandemic, but I'd say before, like there's so much, like I know compared to when I got married I mean, which was over almost 25 years ago. I know, like what you see online now with what people do from like the bachelorette parties to the showers, to the night before, to the invitations, to the this, like there's so much that's put out there that it 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 makes like the event of getting married even bigger. Like again, like social media does for everything. And I can see how people can get caught up in wanting that whole thing, but not realizing that or not thinking about the fact that, I mean, that's not that's nothing. It's really like the waking up the next day after the wedding and having coffee and reading the paper with that person. That's what life is. Like it's the day after. So, but I can see how people, again, with, with every, everything out there is so romanticized on social media that I I just, I think it's probably even easier now to get caught up in that. I totally agree. I don't blame people for it. I just want to remind people that that is not the end goal. Like the hashtag best day ever. That's no, your wedding day. It it should be a great day. It should be wonderful, but it shouldn't be the best day of your life because if it is, then what, then the next 50 years of your life are all downhill from there. Like that's, that's not what it's about. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So let's go through another one. You said foundation. Foundation. Yes. I break foundation down into something I call the five pillars. Um, I liken foundation to the the foundation of a house, right? It takes time to build the foundation of a house and you want a nice, strong foundation to support the structure of your house. And then your house is standing on top of some pillars, right? And these pillars in the relationship context are um, their trust, honesty, communication, teamwork, and respect. And so, you know, the thing about foundation that's kind of a little bit different from the other F words is that foundation is one of those things that needs to be there and it needs to be solid. And all of these pillars need to be intact in order for you to move forward with a healthy relationship. But at the same time, these pillars can also be knocked down once you are married, once you're in the relationship. And so there needs to be constant attention to working on these pillars and maintaining them. It shouldn't really be work if you have a good relationship and if if that foundation is strong to begin with. But like, you know, we can do and say things as the relationship 
progresses or, you know, you're married and you have a fight and you say something completely hurtful and disrespectful out of anger because you're not thinking in the moment. And the way that you handle that could determine whether the respect remains or mm-hmm. whether you kind of abolish that. Right. So, so it's important to constantly be working on these things, but they definitely need to be present before you get into the relationship, before you commit to the relationship. So I know we didn't go through all the F words, but I, and we went through a couple, obviously everybody will have to like read the book to, to, to learn about all the others, but which one do you see people just bombing at the most? Like, which are the ones that you see when people are in your office, like, okay, well, they didn't pay attention to this one. This is why they ended up here. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, I, I, I list fundamental values as the very first of the F words, the rest are in no particular order, but that one's listed first because to me, um, people who don't share fundamental values, and I'm not talking about like fleeting interests. I'm talking about things that are so fundamentally important to you that they kind of define who you are. Mm -hmm. They're like the essence of who you are. They're so deeply important to you and, um, inform everything you really do in your life. And I find that people, hold on to, oh, we have so much in common and these kind of superficial commonalities. Absolutely. Something yep. like more deeply fundamental that will carry you throughout life together, that you're going to navigate your lives in a very similar way because you fundamentally value the same things. You're going to raise your children if you yeah. choose to have them um, in, in the same way with the same values because you share those fundamental values. It's that's a really good one. I didn't know you were going to say that, obviously. And I'm so glad that I asked that because I feel like that is, I like to give in this podcast, I like to give people actionable steps that they can take, you know, that they can, they can put, they can do. Right. And so this, this podcast is, is all about the love more pillar. Right. And so what are some actionable steps that people can do? That is something really actionable. What you just said, you're talking about these fundamental values. People have to have that in order to go forward with anything else. Anyone in a relationship can sit down right now and write down what are your fundamental values. Not, I bet you many people out there don't take the time to write down those fundamental values about themselves. They might know it, start, have the conversation, but they might even come up with a couple others that they weren't even top of mind. Or, you know, or even if they do know them right away, they're not something, you know, that they've really put down on paper and then said, I'm going to have a conversation with my partner about this and find out like, what are their f- fundamental values? Because you may even just think you know what they are with the other person, but they might not be so obvious. So doing that exercise to me would be so valuable. Yeah. And actually in the book, I walk people through several different exercises to help them define their fundamental values. And they're like lines in the book where they can write inside and and do the exercises. And I talk a lot about how the dating process is a job interview. And, you know, yes, once you're in a relationship, okay, ascertaining whether you have fundamental values in common before you take that next step and decide to commit or get married or whatever it is. Yes, that's important. But before you even get to that point, dating is a job interview and you should be asking questions that are targeted toward ascertaining Mm -hmm. whether or not your date shares those fundamental values before you even decide to go on a second, third, fourth, fifth date and get into the relationship in the first place. And there are exercises in there as well um, about how to, you know, which questions you should be asking and how to think about formulating questions to that are geared toward finding out whether your date shares those fundamental values. But the first thing is defining your own for yourself. Absolutely. I think a lot of people don't really do that. They don't like 
they, they don't like, take the time to do it. They don't, they, they just kind of take it. Right. And they kind of take for granted, like, I know who I am. I know what's important to me, but they haven't actually put it down on paper. And if you haven't gone through that exercise of putting it down, you may, you probably haven't thought through it enough. Yes. Like, and, and it's really easy to think, oh, you know, I'm 25 years old. I love to travel. Traveling is definitely yeah. my fundamental value. But really, if you think about, well, in my 40s, 50s, 60s, am I going to be traveling the same way I'm traveling when I'm 25? Am I going to be doing the same things? And what is the underlying thing that fuels my passion yep. for that travel, for whatever it is? Right. And that might be the fundamental value, not actually the travel. So Absolutely. I love that. Aware. Yeah, yeah, I think that was such a great example. Such a good example. Like, is it cute? No, because it's true. Is it? Is it someone who's open minded? Is it someone who wants to learn about other cultures? Is it someone who's curious? Is it someone who like what is the, or what you know what what is that? It could it could mean so much so much more on so many levels. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's so good. Um, okay, and you talk about narcissism in the book. Let's let's dive into that chapter because I feel like that too. And is the topic. And I know I have a few friends right now. I know that we've been having the conversation that have been, you know, either dating or gone on dates with narcissists. And it it just, it seems to be a little bit of a hot male, I shouldn't say male, but hot topic lately. But it is, it is, um, you know, it, it is predominantly in males. That doesn't mean females can't be narcissists, but narcissism is predominantly in males. You've got that chapter called, How Many Light Bulbs Does a Narcissist Need? None. He Uses Gaslighting. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. Um, well, I, I'm obviously not a mental health professional. I'm not here to diagnose anybody as, as narcissistic. Um, but I deal with a lot of narcissists on the other end of, of divorces because um, you know not all divorces are contentious. But all divorces with narcissists are really contentious. They are incredibly manipulative and um, really, really awful in divorces. And so I felt that it deserved its own chapter because um, narcissists are also, um, aside from being really horrible to deal with in divorces, really charming and wonderful to date. I want to take a moment to tell you about our podcast sponsor, which I'm a super fan of. In today's fast-paced go, go, go world, it's so easy to get overwhelmed and lose focus, especially when you're trying to accomplish critical tasks that require a sharp mind. If you're looking for a way to support your brain health and stay on top of your game, if you know me at all, you know I'm always looking to do that. Well, then you want to know about Cognizant Citicoline. This nutrient helps support brain function and it plays a vital role in nourishing and protecting brain cells. Cognizant Citicoline can help support focus, memory, and attention, promote cognitive performance, and support overall brain health. It's also known for its ability to support brain energy and is backed by numerous studies that show its effectiveness. Whether you're a student, a busy professional, a multitasking parent, or anyone looking to optimize mental clarity and sharpness, adding Cognizant Citicoline to your daily routine can help you achieve those goals and support your brain for the future. It can be found in many different products, including chewables, gummies, beverages, and even cold brew coffee. Visit Cognizant.com for exactly where to find this ingredient, and don't forget to look for Cognizant on the label. Narcissists are also, um, aside from being really horrible to deal with in divorces, really charming and wonderful to date. Mm -hmm. And so... um, 
we can be very easily beguiled by somebody who's extremely flattering, um, you know, puts us up on a pedestal, makes us feel like we're just a god. And that doesn't mean that anyone who does that is automatically a narcissist, but there are certain traits that are very, very intrinsic to narcissists. Um, and I, I say that if if somebody is a narcissist, no matter how amazing and wonderful they make you feel and how great they are and how fun it is to date them, run. Because, um, you know, especially if you're planning to have children. And and part of the reason for that is the narcissist loves the flattery and the attention on themselves, right? Mm -hmm. And um, part of the reason they put their partner on a pedestal is not because they idolize and worship their partner, but the partner makes them look good. Right. Mm -hmm. If you're attractive and you're this like, you know, model, like gorgeous person and you're going to make me look good when I take you on my arm somewhere in social. It's all about them. Yeah. Right. And so when a child is introduced into that mix, um, the focus turns to the child and the narcissist doesn't like that. Right. Because the focus is no longer on him or her or. Let's say it's a situation where it's a the man who's a narcissist and, and a female um, partner. The female is now she she's had a baby. Um, she's maybe her her figure is not what it was before. Or, you know, in, right after she gives birth, um, she's tired. She's she's not doting on the narcissist, and he's like, oh, maybe you should get a boob job. Oh, maybe you should get some liposuction. You know, things like that. Mm-hmm. And or she suggests it because she feels that she's not going to be attractive to the narcissistic husband unless she does these things to physically alter her appearance. But nothing she does to physically alter her appearance is going to change the fact that now her focus and attention are on this child and rightfully so. And, um, you know, and he doesn't he's not going to like that no matter what. So when things don't ultimately work out and he ends up having an affair because narcissists think that they can have affairs and get away with them, it's not their fault. They're going to blame this in my scenario here. The narcissist is going to blame his wife for, I had to have an affair because Mm -hmm. you weren't paying attention to me. You didn't love me anymore. You let yourself go. And he's going to gaslight and point the finger at the wife. Recipe for disaster. And then, I mean, it's just a whole slew of things that, that happens from there. And um, because the narcissist can never be at fault or to blame, the narcissist will often use the children to try to hurt the other Mm -hmm. partner. Um, And the children become these pawns of the narcissist's sadistic game. And um, the narcissist is like, well, I love my children. I need more time with them. I need more time. In the meantime, he's actually using the children to harm the other parent. That's not love. That's that's sadistic. Right. um, It's it's really. So how do you get. So when you see that in your practice and when you see a couple like that, do you just like what's your first thought and how do you how do you help that person through that divorce? Like, how do you navigate that in a way that, like you say, holistic, in a holistic way, like how do you, how do you help them to make it less traumatic and less painful and less torturous and contentious? 
Yeah. When people call me and they start telling me the story about what's going on and everything, mm-hmm. I, I can immediately within two minutes be like, oh, that's a narcissist. And then usually, right. oh yeah, our therapist diagnosed him as a narcissist mm-hmm. or something like that. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard the story before. Right. But to help people through, um, you know, to me, helping people through their divorce is trying to get them through it as quickly and painlessly as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously we don't want to just you know, be steamrolled and lay down and and get taken advantage of. And so fighting might be involved. But my goal is to always try to settle cases because that's the most economical thing yep. for my client. Um, it's the least contentious. It's the quickest. And ultimately, at the end of the day, even when people litigate excessively, they mm-hmm. end up settling or, you know, getting to that point it's just they've spent a lot more money to get there. So I always try to do that first, um, if it's possible. But I have to imagine with someone that is a narcissist that can't be, it's probably not that fast. Right. It isn't. But one of the things that I always do is I assess each situation individually and uniquely. And to me, each case is like playing chess. It's a game of chess. Mm-hmm. You have to think three steps ahead and you're strategizing and um, it's it's unique. Your strategy is unique to this specific fact pattern. And so when I know that there's a narcissist involved, I'm trying to hopefully if they have an attorney work with his or her attorney to uh, try to bring things down, to try to um, build a rapport with the attorney so that the mm-hmm. attorney and I can try to Smart. get our clients through the door. A lot of times a narcissist will pick an attorney who's really aggressive. So that right. I could see that. Help. But one thing that I always tell my clients in negotiating with the narcissist is you have to make the narcissist feel as if he or she is getting what he or she wants. Of course. It makes sense. And so even if if you're not actually giving them what they want you have to make them feel like it. And mm-hmm. so if there's something that this narcissist said a long time ago, you say, well, you know, I remember that you suggested this actually and I think it's a wonderful idea. Right. You know, or take like tidbits of what was said and and use that to say, you know, you came up with this. That's wonderful. Like flatter them. There there are ways of kind of even in negotiation manipulating the situation and it's it's not always feasible, it's not always possible. Things can get very ugly and contentious, which is why I try to get people to identify the narcissist first and run as far away as you can. Do not date this person. Right. <laughs> Once you ascertain this is a narcissist, do not date. Definitely do not marry this person. Um, but we, we always try to, you know, I, I, I'm aware of it when I'm dealing with a narcissist and I try to, you know. Yeah, de- I think what you said makes really, I mean, just get through it as fast as possible. But I, I'm sure there are attorneys out there that are not, you know, they're not trying to make it end as fast as possible. They're, they they like the fight. So the fact that like you're thinking like that and you know that you, you want to get it, you want to get someone through this fast and as, you know, with as little pain as possible. Yeah. Is great. Uh, I have another question about your whole process when you're working with people going through a divorce. And then I want to go back to the dating advice. (laughs) So the going through the divorce, what is the most common thing that you see in couples that go through the process the best? The couples that come through this, like you said, it sounds like you had a really sort of painless divorce. Mm -hmm. My divorce was, when people ask about it, I would say it was very simple. That does not mean that it was, there wasn't hurt. And that doesn't mean that it wasn't a very tough time in life and all of that. But 
it was a pretty easy, very easy actual divorce. And there's still like a lot of, I always, I speak very highly of my ex-husband. There's a lot of love there. You know, how, what are those common threads that you see in those couples? I think both people still have a lot of respect for one another. Um, They've just come to this realization that their relationship is not necessarily going to work out um, or, you know, whatever the reason. They don't let their emotions get in the way. They kind of, and and, and this is hard because emotions are so inextricably tied to divorce litigation that oftentimes emotion actually fuels litigation. And, um, you know, I always try to talk people off the ledge and say, look, I know that this is so hard to separate your emotion from this, but this is a business transaction. And the more you let your emotions drive this, the more money you're going to spend, the longer you're going to be stuck in it. Like treat this as a business transaction. Take yourself out of it for just a second, right? Um, which is easier said than done, obviously. But um, I think that people who are able to extricate themselves from that emotional component where things didn't necessarily end on bad terms, they just ended. Um, or, you know, people remind themselves, like if they if they have to co-parent a child, for instance, right. um, that they remind themselves that they're in this together. Like right. their marriage might be over, right. but they'll have a child together forever and they will have grandchildren together. And so it's better for them to put those emotions aside and approach it with maturity um, as an adult and, right. and that's not an easy thing to do. So not I, at all. I don't condemn people who can't do that, but right. I think that makes sense actually for people that whether or not the actual divorce and the ending of the divorce is contentious or it's amicable, you still need to do that. So I think that's really good advice all around. Remove yourself, like remove the emotions from the situation and just be very logical about the process that you're going through. Yeah. And to be clear, don't bury those emotions, feel them, express them. There are avenues for letting those emotions out, for for expressing them, working through them. But the divorce process itself is not the place for that to be. That's, that is such good advice. It's such good advice, right? Because you're not saying that you shouldn't handle them and you shouldn't deal with them. And you obviously have to, like you said, it's like a death, right? And you have to mourn that and you have to process that. But when you're dealing with the actual divorce, it's not going to be helpful there. Correct. Yeah, that's really, really good. Okay, so let's go to the dating advice. (laughs) Let's get to some dating advice. So now for the person that's gone through this divorce, they've seen you, like what would be, I mean, obviously you've got lots of dating advice in your book, but what would be, you know, your top two tips for someone dating after divorce? And why don't we give you two scenarios? Maybe, you know, the person that has just gone through this terrible, rough divorce, getting back out there. And then maybe also the person that has two or three kids and is more midlife. So number one hot tip for dating after you have gone through a divorce is figure out what went wrong in your marriage. You know, I I think that people often point the blame on the other person. And while, you know, okay, in the case of infidelity or something like that, yeah, one person may be more to blame. Both people still contributed to the demise of that relationship Mm -hmm. in some way. I feel that very strongly both people contributed to it. Um, It's not a fault thing. It's not a finger pointing thing, but there's, it's a dance. 
right? Mm -hmm. Both people were involved in it. And so figure out why you chose this person in the first place. Figure out what attracted you to him or her. Then figure out what your part was in the Mm -hmm. end of the relationship or in the downfall of the relationship. Figure out why you were wrong for each other and and what you should be looking for um, and why, right? Defining your reasons is so powerful because there's this quote by Nietzsche, which I'm paraphrasing, but it's find your why and you will find your how, right? Mm. So finding your why is so crucial. Then you can figure, if you know why you're doing things, then you'll find a way to do them, right? Mm. So I think um, therapy, if you're open to that, is a great tool for self-exploration. Maybe it's you don't believe in therapy. Maybe it's just talking to your friends. Maybe it's meditation. Maybe it's reading relationship books, self-help books, things like that that are going to spark some thought and make you really think about, you know, or just self-reflect and and grow. Um, So that's hot tip for um, what you're going. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Cause I think so many people just think, okay, I'm just going to get out there. I just got to get on dates. I got to get out there. I got to, I got to, you know, just like put myself out there and start doing it and jump in. And I think that's great advice. And that's good too, by the way, because sometimes you need to just jump back out there and get out there, but you shouldn't be just jumping back out there and getting out there looking for a serious relationship. Like if that's just, you're just getting out there because you want to date and you want to get back into the swing of things. Great. Great. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, you need to be working on yourself and doing a lot of self-exploration so you don't end up in the same situation again. Right. We don't want this to become a revolving door. Um, Now, in terms of dating after divorce, when you have children, um, that was your second question. I get that question a lot, actually. And, um, you know, people are like, well, what do I do? This It's so hard for me to go out. Then I have to introduce this person potentially to my children. I have to deal with the issues with my ex. There's, It's a lot more complicated. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I'm saying this as a mother, um, not necessarily as a divorce attorney. I think that it's really important that your children know that you are there for them and you're their mother and you're, or father, um, and that you're, you know, you're there to take care of them. But I also think it's really important for them to know and see that you have a life outside of them Mm -hmm. because then they're going to grow up knowing that, you know, that there's, there's more, there's more to life, right. There's more to life and that, that they're, there's like a respect that comes with that. I think, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's, that's a whole nother <laughs> topic. Yeah, that's, right? a, that's a whole other episode, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think it's important for that. And so, you know, there is a way to make time for a dating life. It's not necessarily appropriate to introduce your children to just some, some random person you've gone on two dates with, or, you know, someone that you're uh, just starting a relationship with. I think that that's something that you need to have conversations with your ex about. I think you need to both because a lot of times people get so upset when their ex introduces the new significant mm-hmm. other children, but then they're totally fine introducing their significant right. other. I to see the that program. all the time. I see and that. I'm like, yep. Now look, if what's good for the goose is good for the gander, right? So you need to be on the same page as co-parents before you kind of figure out when is a good time to do this. And, um, you know, 
it kind of, it, it's also not, why you need to continue to have a relationship with, with your ex. Yes. And there has you to be, don't. there has to be communication to some yes. extent, or it's at least if you can do that, it is better. And that's why going through the process, like with you and, and going through the better you can go through the divorce process, the greater likelihood that there is going to be a relationship, whether it's, whether it's okay, good or great you know, will depend, but the better you go through that divorce, probably, you know, the, the better chances of having that future relationship, which you're going to yeah. need if you have children. Yes. And if you don't, and you can't, I, I have to say, and, and people should hear this. I've seen so many people just at each other's throats in the right. divorce and hate each other. And then I talk to them for some reason, you know, three, four years down the line, they're like, we get along great now. But if right. you don't, um, there are people who are specifically trained, the co-parenting counselors mm -hmm. who are there to help navigate conversations and facilitate conversations. And if you feel that every time you have a conversation with your ex about your children, you're just yelling at each other or saying disrespectful things, then maybe having a co-parenting counselor who you can go to when you have an issue that you need to work through is a great tool. Like it's available to you there. A lot of them do things remotely now, like they do sessions remotely. So why, um, escalate things and make things worse by just yelling at each other through, you know, talking parents or family wizard or whatever platform you're using to communicate that the court ordered you to use. Um, and why not just go to someone who can help you have a civilized discussion and hopefully help you reach an agreement about these things? Yeah. Super smart. So what do you think the things that stick out as being just, I mean, I know you have the, the five, your F words, uh, in the book, but what do you think if you could simplify it into one sentence and this might be too difficult, but what would you say is the key to long, happy relationship and not ending up in your office? <laughs> I think having a sense of self-worth, knowing your worth, um, because I think all of these things are kind of part and parcel of having that sense of mm -hmm. self-worth. Mm -hmm. um, if you know that you deserve to love and be loved and have a healthy and meaningful relationship, then that's what you're going to seek. And if you don't truly believe that, then you won't. Right. That's good. That's so good. <laughs> On that note of loving yourself and love more, being a pillar of a nutritious life. Uh, so I always ask this as the last question. Uh, you obviously talk about relationships every day, ending or starting or <laughs> somewhere in between. You're talking about relationships. And like I said, love more is a pillar of a nutritious life, but all of the pillars of a nutritious life work together from stress, sleep, all of those pillars. We've talked about that before. So how do you start your day or what do you do on a daily basis to set in motion these pillars? <laughs> I know you do yoga. Do you still do I have yoga? a four-year-old? So. <laughs> um, uh, well, to me, um, taking time for myself is really important. Mm -hmm. And um, typically for me, it's always been some form of physical movement or activity, like exercising every single day. Um, taking that time, not only for myself, but the endorphins that it releases, starting my day off with that. 
um, it kind of sets everything in motion and starts my day off right. And so I think that probably, um, you know, not only allotting that time, but, but also the physicality of it. Yeah, that's perfect. That's amazing. Thank you. Okay. So everyone needs to go and buy Sarah's book, live, laugh, find true love. Love the title, by the way, everyone out there going through a divorce or just dating. You don't have to be going through a divorce and then dating, just dating. Anyone out there dating, you want to buy this book and you can go through not only the other F words, but there's so much juicy info in there. And Sarah, you are just such a pleasure to talk to. You're just calming. Just hearing hearing you speak is calming. And I can see why your clients love you as an attorney because going through such a stressful, stressful process, having someone that is just so smart and rational and calm and such like a light is, I mean, that's just got to be such a gift to your clients. So anyway, we were so lucky to hear from you today. There'll be so much in the show notes, everyone on Sarah, where to find her book and where to find her and all that good stuff. Thanks everyone. Thanks. Thanks.